TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is That Paleo Show with your hosts, Stephanie Wozalik, Dr. Yana James, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Stephanie Waslick. I'm Dr. Yana James. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And I know we're always uh, so excited at the beginning of each episode, but this week we are really thrilled to have Nora Kagaudis as our very first guest on this show. So most of you probably know Nora as the author of the fantastic book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Beyond the Paleo Diet for Total Health and a Longer Life. But she is also the host of the podcast Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, a certified nutritional therapist, a certified neurofeedback specialist, and a frequent public speaker at major events such as the Ancestral Health Symposium and the Mind Forum coming up May 17th to 20th in Sydney this year. Uh, I know her resume is much longer than that, but if I said it all, we'd never get to the interview. So it's with much gratitude that we welcome Nora Gagatis to the show today. Well, and it's with much gratitude that I... Uh... You know, that I, that I'm here. Oh, thanks, Nora. Yeah, so, absolutely. <laughs> we have lots to talk about today, but I thought I'd just say, um, that at the end of the last episode, I introduced you as Dr. Nora Gagoudis, which Yeah, not, is not exactly, no. <laughs> yeah. But we think that it's fitting because you're better than most of the designated doctors that we know. Uh, well, that's extremely <laughs> generous of you. I very teacher, Nora, so we figure you're a pretty good teacher for people of health and wellness all over the world, so we thought, you know, it's not too far off the tree. Well, and, and really, ultimately, I think that that's my, um, my real passion in this is, is really all about the idea of helping to inspire self-empowerment in other people, particularly by, uh, through, you know, through the, through education basically, through giving people information about how their, how their brain and body work and what kinds of things, uh, support that and what kinds of things interfere with that. And, uh, when people have foundational information about themselves, it becomes very uh it becomes easy to to just sort of know what it is that you need to do without having to depend on uh you know a whole host of things that people sometimes uh you know feel like they have to depend upon in order to be healthy and and i think it's better nobody will ever care more about your own health than you and so yeah, yeah, sure. learning what it is that that you need to know in order to take the best possible care of of your body and brain that you can is your best insurance and you know and and, and not just entrusting it to others whose best interest not may not lie with your well-being but may instead lie with profit so yeah definitely yeah so true um Nora, you were recently interviewed on the good doctors which is another show on the wellness couch and with them you mostly spoke about fats Today we thought we'd go in a different direction and talk okay. about gluten, which we know is a passion of oh. yours. Okay. Uh, so um, everyone has heard of celiac disease pretty much now, but uh, the one thing I find fascinating is that most of the people in the population have a gluten intolerance to some degree. Could you start us out by talking about why this is something that people should be more aware of? Oh, my goodness. Well, for starters... Uh... You know, gluten intolerance, well, I, you know, has actually increased in the population now. Or actually, full-blown celiac disease alone, which, by the way, is only about 12% of what constitutes 
uh, all of the immunologic reactivity to gluten out there, um, it's actually increased over 400% alone in the last 50 years. Wow. Wow. And, and, and so this is, this is epidemic. And I think that there, there are multiple reasons for this. I think, um, there's certainly, um, uh, selecting for more gluten in the grains. Uh, they're also deamidating gluten, which is, which is changing the way that it functions in the body in a, in a way that may make us more vulnerable to it. I also think that that our genome is deteriorating a bit. We've been we're multiple generations now uh of influence by the sort of the tendrils if you will of the food industry and and also of environmental contaminants and um and you know genetically modified uh, substances and 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 who knows what else. I mean, I could go on forever about all the things that have been you know have been influencing us for for a very long time and and I think this makes us more vulnerable I, uh, as time goes on. And so I think a lot of things have changed. We don't have the same wiggle room that, say, our parents or grandparents once did for, uh, you know, for, for what it is that we need to do to be optimally healthy or healthy at all, honestly, anymore. Yeah, that's it's a, really a big good challenge. Point. Yeah. Yep. yeah, we often hear like, "Well, why could our parents eat gluten? Why, why did they make all this homemade bread?" So that's a really good point to make there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 the bread that they were eating, you know, was 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 probably a little different too. Yeah. Um, well, we we did a great interview with uh, Dr. William Davis on the Wellness Guys, which is the other podcast show I do, Nora. And uh, yeah, he's awesome with that sort of stuff, isn't he? Just all that information about how the wheat has changed and how it's been you know, evolved and engineered and those sort of things was. Just amazing information. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm happy anytime somebody brings some attention to this, to this issue. It's not the only issue we need to be aware of, but it, it, it is one that I think is extremely underappreciated and it's leading to, you know, the number three cause right now of morbidity and mortality in the industrialized world is autoimmune disease. And most autoimmune diseases are either generated or exacerbated uh, through immunologic reactivity to gluten in some manner, shape, or form, and other food intolerances. However, gluten is sort of the gateway food sensitivity. And the, what makes it a gateway food sensitivity is the fact that the consumption of gluten stimulates the release of an enzyme called zonulin. And zon- it sounds like something out of a Star Trek episode, <laughs> but, but zonulin basically, it is... Uh, it, it, it is a protein or enzyme that basically controls intestinal permeability. So when you eat something that contains gluten, whether or not, by the way, you happen to be immunologically reactive to it, it will cause the zonulin release, which will open up the semi-permeable membranes in both your gut and, by the way, your blood-brain barrier wow. and allow whatever happens to be there, you know, at least in your gut that may not be fully digested, to get through. Uh, or whatever may be floating around your bloodstream that you don't want in your brain, you know, that, that can get through also during those times. And, and in those moments, you're basically activating your own immune response in a way that initially may attack these proteins and, and treat them as foreign proteins. But as these proteins incorporate into your body, eventually these protein, your immune system can start attacking itself, um, can start attacking you. 
So now let's talk about these autoimmune conditions, because what I find is often we'll talk about autoimmune conditions, but people don't actually realise that that relates to what's going on with them. So yeah, what are some of the more common autoimmune conditions we're now seeing that, that perhaps our listeners have, have experienced or know someone with that might be linked to this? Well, the number one most common auto, autoimmune illness is actually celiac disease, but, but by, behind that... Um, well, a close second, and there is some debate as to as to which is one number one and which is number two. But the other one is actually autoimmune thyroid uh, illness. Eighty percent of all low-functioning thyroids out there, folks. For those of you that say, "Yeah, I have got a low thyroid. I'm on medication, whatever." Well, there's an eighty percent probability that that's autoimmune in nature. Um, it's much more. It's, it's significantly more common in women than men, but it is a prevalent issue nonetheless. Yeah. Um, type 1 diabetes, that's another autoimmune condition. Uh, asthma has autoimmune components to it. Um, there's, of course, rheumatoid arthritis. But, but we're learning now that other types of uh, tissue damage that we may not have earlier associated with autoimmunity uh, may have autoimmune components. And this one's a real stickler. So supposedly the number one and two causes of mortality in the industrialized world, uh, disease-wise anyway, have to do with, uh, you know, everybody knows about heart disease and cancer. Well, it's interesting. The number one cause of death in a celiac patient uh, is due to a cardiovascular event. The number two cause of death in a celiac patient is malignancy. And there was a recent study published, which unfortunately I don't have in front of me, so I can't quote chapter and verse, but but uh, just came across this that showed that the initiation of cardiovascular disease is actually appears to be autoimmune in nature, atherosclerosis. Wow. So, so I mean, these things, it's, it's, it's scary. You know, if you're somebody that has an immunologic reactivity to gluten and you have headaches every day, uh, another study showed that if you continue to consume gluten, um, you have a hundred percent probability of having white matter lesions in your brain wow. or of developing them. Oh, I mean, this is scary stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, certain forms of dementia may very well have an autoimmune component to them. Um, autism is essentially an autoimmune brain disorder. And where that was a few, just, just a few years ago, it was like one in 200 people. Now it's like one in 50. Yeah. And even being Alzheimer's, born. right? Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just mentioned that. Oh, sorry, I thought you said, I thought you said autism. Sorry. Yeah. Said, well, no, but it's okay. I know where to put the electrodes. So. It's right. Sorry. Well, it's it's just because it's just. Like Have I got I was, a book for you? Yeah. Well, when I was reading your book, I know I was sitting there nodding the whole time, and now we're listening to you talk, and we're all sitting here nodding the whole time. These are things that we've come across, but. Just that, um, just so many people don't really understand how widespread this gluten, gluten sensitivity is. And like you said, headaches and dementia and diabetes, these things are all related to it. Um, well, and, and brain fog. I mean, the, you know, yeah. I mean, neuro, uh, neuroinflammation is a huge, huge problem. And if anybody out there, and psych, you know, so gluten sensitivity can be primarily and at times exclusively a neurological disease in affecting not just the brain and nervous system, but also both cognitive and psychiatric illness. Wow. And that is a paraphrase right out of the Journal of Neurology. Um, and so if you know somebody with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or whatever else, 
gluten intolerance has to be ruled out as a potential either either cause or complicating factor. I'm not saying that it causes everything under the sun, but 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 it may have some connection. It certainly isn't helping. Again, it either generates or exacerbates problems you may already have. And one of the things that I like to kind of well, there's an analogy uh, that I've sort of drawn. You know, I used to have, well, I still do, I guess. I have a brown belt in Taekwondo. I haven't done anything with it in a long time, but, um, <laughs> and one of the things that, that we learned in, in, in that training was that, you know, if you get grabbed in an alleyway, it's, it's human nature to look at the part of your body that's being restricted, look at that arm that's being grabbed, and freak out because you're, there's a part of your body that's being restricted and uh and it's easy to become focused on that and fall prey to it mm-hmm. however what you're taught to do in in martial arts is you're taught to yes notice and acknowledge and be aware of what's being restricted but then shift your focus over to what is not being restricted and focus on and and uh you know and pay attention to that instead so in other words, you know, you've got two legs, you've got arms, you've got elbows, you can scream, you can yell, you know, you can kick, you can do all kinds of things. And so the way I analogize this for, if that's really a word, analogize, maybe oh, it is. Oh, we like it. Oh, we like it. I'll make it up. So uh, is is that, you know, I, I sort of call it being a primal ninja warrior, you know. In other words, in the face of all the things in the world that that we have no control over, or that we perceive ourselves as having no control over, or we don't easily have control over. It's, it's imperative for us to take control of what we can. And, um, and so to me that, you know, just getting rid of something that has such a, uh, an incredible track record, a growing track record of causing major health problems, to me it's just sort of a no-brainer. You know, why incorporate, why play Russian roulette basically? And here in the States, the number one cause of bankruptcy here, which you guys have universal health care, so it's maybe not the same consideration for you, and maybe that is or isn't a good thing, but the number one cause of bankruptcy here is a bad diagnosis. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, if you can't afford to be sick, and who can? I mean, whether you have universal health care or not, who can afford to be ill? On, on so many levels, you can't afford not to eat as optimally well as you possibly can. And it's, and it can be extremely affordable. One of my biggest frustrations is this myth that, that somehow eating extremely well means you have to be extremely wealthy and nothing is further from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think um, what you said before as well, it, um, what you perceive to be in control of is really important. I don't think we've got time today to go into it, but given you're a certified neurofeedback specialist, it's probably something yeah. that you're pretty passionate about. We might have to talk about talking about that another time. Because um, we just want to discuss some of the uh, cross-reactors of gluten. So there's, a, there's gluten's not only in wheat, right? It's in some other grains. And then there's also things that don't even have gluten that cross-react. Is that correct, Nora? Yes, that that's true. Well, that can cross-react. So cross-reactivity cross is a phenomenon in which in certain sensitive individuals, you have somebody who, who's, who has an immunologic reactivity to gluten. And in some sensitive people, um, there may be other substances that your immune system confuses with gluten. 
And so usually what this has to do with is molecular mimicry on some level. So it either has to do with certain, uh, with certain grains that aren't necessarily, the primary gluten containing grains of course are wheat, rye, and barley. Uh, most oats tend to be contaminated with gluten just by virtue of the manner in which they're processed and stored, but, um, but oats by themselves are an offshoot of the family tree of gluten and don't necessarily have, um, the same type of gluten in them. But in a, just a, oat, using oats as an example, but they're closely related enough that some individuals may react as if, you know, oats are gluten containing. The other type of molecular mimicry has to do, uh, with, uh, the most common, actually, commonly, uh, cross-reactive compound is actually casein, which of course is one of the primary proteins in dairy. And casein, the, molecularly is almost identical, uh, in its structure to gluten. And, uh, so there are some people, and you're talking to one of them, who, if I were to consume, uh, dairy, my immune system would look at that and, and perceive it to be, uh, gluten, produce zonulin and have all of the same effects on my immune system and elsewhere in my, you know, body that, that gluten would generate. So for me, it is a, it's a permanent sensitivity that I need to avoid as completely as possible. Yeah. And, and this includes, this also includes, by the way, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, it includes trace amounts. I don't, I don't have celiac disease, but you don't have to have celiac disease to have a profound immunologic reaction to gluten that makes all the, you know, that, that can make, affect you all the way from your hair follicles down to your toenails and everything in between. Yeah, and so. Oh, sorry. Well, the, the, just just the the one point I want to make with that is that that even trace amounts are too much. So it's you know that person that says, "Well, I'm ninety eight percent gluten free." Yeah. Then you're not free. It's like being a little bit pregnant. You either are <laughs> or you're not. You know, yeah. there's no middle ground in there. No wiggle room. Yeah, and one thing that surprised me was just that it can be in skincare products and stuff as well. You don't have to just ingest it, so. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and it, you're, when you eat something, you've got all this stuff. You've got, you've got, you know, hydrochloric acid. You've got all these digestive enzymes and things like that that can work on it. And the so, supposedly semi-permeable, uh, gut to, you know, uh, to decide what gets through and what doesn't get through. And when you're in a hot shower and you've got your pores wide open, um, and then you're slathering on uh, a soap that's full of wheat protein, uh, there is like less than a micron of distance between that and your bloodstream. Yeah. And there are people who will show, uh, you know, positive results for gluten exposure. And all that's going on is that they're using, you know, personal care products that that have wheat protein, you know, in them. So it's, it's one of those things that you have to be, yeah, that you have to be really careful with. And, and really, you know, man, I wish this stuff weren't true. I mean, you know, it it is a complicated thing. You know, I mean, really give me the throws, you know, give me 70 below temperatures and howling winds and, and, and 2000 foot glaciers (laughs) in the throws of the coldest last ice age that there was over dealing with Monsanto or dealing with the, <laughs> no kidding. you know, the pollutants that we have in our environment. I mean, what we're faced with is so much more challenging than our ancestors ever could have imagined. Yeah, and, and so, you know, we have to, we truly have to be vigilant in, in the world that we live in today. 
I think in order to be able to enjoy any modicum of health at all, and just because you're above ground and you, you know, you can get out of bed in the morning, uh, you know, and, and make it to the coffee pot <laughs> in time before you collapse and, you know, that you can make it to work and get through a day and get home, uh, without a trip to the hospital doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. Yeah, no, I want to come back to, you know, talking about the, the gluten reactors and the gluten mimics and those sort of things because, you know, my experience with a lot of people has been, um, and this includes actually my little nephew who, um, who had been having gluten, um, who yes. had had some sort of behavioral stuff and other stuff going on and, and had that, his parents had chosen not to take gluten out of the diet and actually got great results and then at some stage decided to go along to the doctor and get a, you know, gluten intolerance test done. Um, right. at, at which point he came back you know, fine, no, no problems with gluten, so you, you, know, you should start giving him glutinous foods again, was essentially the advice they were given, even though he'd done so well when he'd removed those foods. And, and well, we, and, we seem to see this happening yeah. so often with so many people. Like, what's your take on that, Nora? Oh, I've got a take on that. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> I thought you would. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here. So <laughs> That was my reaction too. <laughs> <laughs> so really... Um, when it comes to serological testing, the conventional serological testing for gluten intolerance, you really only have about a 30% accuracy rate with those tests. And that, that's a very, very real problem. Um, now, there are many reasons for this. Uh, one being that usually the only thing they ever test for is alpha-gliadin. And that's just one proteum of gluten out of hundreds of them, but there are at least a dozen that are, that are known to be very commonly reactive. And, um, and all they're testing for is, is alpha gliadin because that's the one most commonly associated with celiac disease. Uh, but there's, it's not the only one associated with celiac. There's a beta gliadin and a delta gliadin and omega gliadin. There are other types of gliadins. Um, but, of course, the only one they're testing for is alpha-gliadin. And usually they're only testing for secretory IgA reaction to alpha-gliadin. I have yet, I mean, I do blood tests all the time with people, and I do salivary tests, testing, and I do GI testing. And I see secretory IgA levels wiped out left and right. And um, if you don't have that immunoglobulin, then it, it makes it difficult to find enough uh, an, of an antigenic response with that immunoglobulin. Uh, that's part of the problem too. So, um, and also there is something called, uh, uh, deviations of, um, uh, oh, what's, what's the term? Oh my gosh, I just blanked out. So, standard deviations. So, so if you do, if you do, uh, blood work and value comes up, for instance, they know in, in the testing, in, uh, from, from immun, immunologists will, will determine these ranges. They know that anything outside this particular range is already a positive result. In other words, this is in excess of what would be normally present. But what happens then is that laboratories routinely add, you know, three, four, five, even six standard deviations uh, on top of that to widen that so, so that you're only really going to show positive if you're way out of that margin. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now there's only one laboratory in the world, and I'm sorry it's not where you are. I happen to be <laughs> glad that it's where I am. That's called Cyrex Labs. They test for a dozen different proteums of gluten. Um, and, and they test IgA, IgG, IgM, 
uh, uh, immunoglobulins, and they test one and two standards of, of deviation mm. of sensitivity. Wow. So there's very, very little that can possibly fall through the cracks. And I can tell you in, in the kind of testing that, that they, that they offer and, and what I see with people, it's, I, I can count on one hand the number of people that have come back and less than one hand with absolutely no immunologic reactivity to gluten at all. Wow. So, um, Nora, one of the mistakes that I made when I first came off gluten was to jump on the gluten-free processed product bandwagon. Yeah. And um, yeah. you have this analogy that talks about stoking a fire, which I absolutely love. I think you said you've sort of been become popular for that one. Can you run over that one for me and for our listeners as to why that's right. so good up well, it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, my little wood stove analogy. That's so. One. Right. And so basically we're kind of shifting from the gluten to the sort of the carbohydrates as fuel, uh, discussion. Yeah. So, so if we are to look at, you know, there, there are two, well, okay. If we were to look at, at carbohydrates from the standpoint strictly from what they provide us with in terms of energy, um, or, their value to us in terms of energy. They really can be likened mostly to being a form of kindling on uh, on our metabolic fire. So so you know if 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 you have uh, I, I basically look at carbohydrates as kindling. So you you basically um your whole grains, your brown rice, your beans, your things of that nature, you can kind of look at as being twigs on that metabolic fire. And white rice, potatoes, pasta, Things like that you can kind of look at as being like crumpled paper on that fire. Mm-hmm. Now, things like alcohol and uh, and sweetened uh, sodas and things like that are a little bit like throwing gasoline or lighter fluid on that fire. And if you needed to run your, you know, if if you need if you all you had to heat your house with was a wood stove, um, and all you had was kindling to heat your house with. Well, you could certainly do that, but what you'd be doing is you'd be sitting in front of that wood stove all day long, grabbing handfuls of twigs and and handfuls of paper and you know and lighter fluid and whatever else to try to keep that fire going all the time. In other words, you'd be fundamentally a slave to that wood stove, and um, and then you know, heaven forbid, you you have to go out and actually live your life and do things. Uh, you have errands to run or, you know, you want to act, oh, I don't know, sleep through the night. And yes, there's an analogy to be made here. Um, and you wake up at three in the morning and the house is freezing and you look and, oh my gosh, the fire's going out. Now you're grabbing big wads of paper and you have the lighter fluid and, you're, you know, you're trying to get the fire going. Um, you know, there, there's a very clear analogy to be made there. Um, so what's the alternative? Well, what if instead you were to take a nice big fat log and put that on the fire? <laughs> now, basically, you know, once you've done that, you're free. You're able to go about your business and live your life and not be constantly preoccupied with whether the fire's going out or not. And, uh, if after a night's sleep you look in the wood box, you know, you look in the, in the wood stove and it, and you can kind of see the fire burning down, you say, oh, the fire's burning down, I'll just put another log on there. And then you go about your business. Um, that's freedom. Yeah. And and that is where you're able to make, because there, there is no more even burning fuel um, on the planet than, uh, than, than dietary fat. 
and there is no more uh, more volatile and unreliable fuel to depend upon than dietary carbohydrate. In other words, when I when I say that, I mean sugars and, and starches. And they're very destabilizing uh, to the system. And because your body is obsessed with maintaining the lowest uh, possible level of glucose at any given time without, you know, preferably without causing you symptoms, um, because glucose is so inherently damaging to uh, to the body, it glycates things which, which basically causes, you know, proteins and fats and things to become... Uh, misshapen and uh, um, and it attracts free radical activity and it starts things start to malfunction. I mean that's basically how we age is is through a process of advanced glycating end products or glycation, um, AGEs, yeah. um, appropriately. Then you know your body works really really hard at trying to keep the necessary level of glucose to a minimum. Well, if you're constantly throwing a handful of kindling on top of that and you're spiking that up, your body's going to produce a lot of insulin, uh, which is another damaging substance to the body that, that shortens your life. And the insulin's going to take that and drive it down to try to get it out of the bloodstream and get it into your cells or get it converted to triglycerides, by the way, and then which end up on your, on your hips and wherever else is body fat. Whatever you don't need right now, because sugar is an anaerobic fuel. Uh, you, it's like rocket fuel. You use it in, in an emergency to outrun, uh, some kind of threat or to exert yourself in some extreme sort of way. But walking around and just sort of using oxygen as, as most of us do, uh, dietary fat actually is the aerobic fuel of choice for 99% or 99.9% of pretty much everything that you're going to do. Now, and Nora, so I'm going to have to jump yeah. in, Nora, because I have a feeling if I don't, this could end up being an hour and a half podcast instead of a half hour podcast. Yeah, I, I could end up basically <laughs> uh, talking s- through 400 pages worth uh, of my book. Yeah, course, no, so. you've got so much great information. And I, I do want to let our fans know that you know if they like what you're talking about and they want to hear more of you, then you are going to be at the Mind Forum in Sydney on the 17th and 20th of May. And, and I'm actually going to be there as the MC. And now that I know that you're a black belt in Taekwondo, I'm going to be really yep. nice when I introduce oh, you. <laughs> brown, brown belt, brown belt. Brown belt, brown belt. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's still, I did kick, kick your ass. My ass. get all the way there. <laughs> Cool. So, uh, but I know Stephanie will give some details about where they can find your book and, and all your information as well. Yeah. So, if, yeah. You want, if you want tickets to the Mind Forum, just go to mind m i n d d dot org. But to get more information about Nora and her wonderful book and her podcast, visit primalbody hyphen primalmind dot com. All right. So thank you so much, Nora, for coming today. It was an honor. Thank you guys for having me. You're very kind and and very generous. And and you guys are a lot of fun, too. Yeah, thanks. And I know the three of us were all nodding here the whole time. And we can't wait to enjoy the moment. Bunch of bobbleheads over there. (laughs) So until next week, check us out on Facebook, share your story, and help to grow the Paleo Tribe worldwide. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi. 
Damien Christoph from 100 Not Out here. You know that your health is a direct reflection of your peer group, right? So have you thought about bringing a group of people to our Melbourne Wellness Summit? Your colleagues, your friends or your family? We've got great packages for 10 or more people to the summit, which will be held at Crown in Melbourne on Saturday, August 17. It's going to be 10 hours of powerhouse wellness featuring my Wellness Guys teammates, of course the Up For A Chat girls, world-class exhibits and loads more. For group discounts and to secure your spot, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com.